Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. When's the last time somebody has called you a stone or a rock? Do you think that's a compliment? Or do you think maybe it's kind of an insult? If someone tells you you're a stone or a rock, I suppose it depends on the context. It certainly can be a compliment if you're somebody who's reliable and steady. It can also be, I suppose, an insult if people feel like you're weighing them down or something along those lines. But it's interesting today in our, in our text from 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that it's all about stones and rocks. And, and I wonder sometimes as I, I read through this section of Scripture if Peter didn't love that picture because of his name. Do you remember that the disciple that we know as Peter actually carried the name Simon? It was Jesus when he first called him who named him Peter because that word means rock or rock man, I suppose we could say. That's what the Greek word is all about. And so maybe Peter had a little bit of a fascination with rocks and stones. And, and, and you think about Jesus calling Peter the rock. And for a long time, it didn't seem as if Peter was going to live up to what Jesus had called him. And yet he became just that, a, a rock who confessed the true faith in Jesus. And so today, we're going to spend some time talking about stones and rocks. So I thought I would put up a couple of pictures and just see what you know about stones and rocks in our world. I'm guessing that some of you, maybe all of you, recognize that stone grouping. Do you know that that's in England? It's called Stonehenge. Do you know that this little outcropping, this little pop-up of rocks in the middle of a farmer's field has baffled people for centuries. Some believe it was an ancient burial ground. Others believe that maybe it was some sort of calendar or some sort of timekeeping thing. Nobody really knows for sure. Just out of curiosity, has anybody ever been to see Stonehenge? We do have some people, excellent, that were at Stonehenge. Wonderful. All right, I'm going to bring it a little closer to home. Anybody been to Wyoming? All right, we have more Devil's Tower people from Wyoming. Isn't this one kind of amazing? In the middle of a plain, all of a sudden there's this rock that stands about 1,200 feet in the air with all of the striations down the side. There are all kinds of things that people have made up to figure out how that rock got to where it is. But Devil's Tower is an interesting thing to go and see. One more, one more. Anybody been to Wave Rock in northern Arizona? Not too far from the Grand Canyon, it is a beautiful outcropping. Again, this just rock that has all of these different sediments, and it literally looks like a wave. Sometimes I wonder about these, these rock formations that, that people go and visit or, or people try to see, and I wonder if God doesn't put them in the places that he does just so we realize we don't have it all figured out. As much as we'd like to explain everything in the universe, there's just things that are beyond our comprehension. But isn't it comforting to know that God does know everything about all of those rocks, exactly how they got there, why they look the way that they do? And it's that idea that Peter's going to pick up on, the, the, the living stone that is our Savior Jesus and the rock-solid foundation that gives us for our faith.
And so as we take a look at these words from Peter today in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to see that we have a wonderful purpose. First of all, Peter is going to call us stones, rocks. We are living stones, Peter says. And then he reminds us of the purpose for which we have been called, to represent the living stone, Jesus himself. Let's hear how Peter starts this section of 1 Peter in verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, the idea that, that Peter would be fascinated with stones maybe shouldn't surprise us. The, uh, the word for rock in the original Greek Petrus is the masculine form, and so it's given to a person like Peter. It means the rock man. But Petra is the Greek word for rock. You kind of hear it in our English if you know the word petrified, right? That's the idea from the Greek language, from Petra, stone, or rock, or boulder. But in this text, Peter uses a different word for rock. He uses the word lithos. Lithos means more of a stone, something that's used for sometimes an ornate purpose for building. Sometimes it's shaped and put in the right place. And that's the kind of stone that he describes our Savior as, a living stone. When's the last time that you thought a stone laying on the ground was alive? But Peter says, make no mistake, this stone is living. He knows that because he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. That's who he preached. He knew that Jesus is alive and, and that because of that, everything has changed. But Peter also knows something else. This stone, this living stone that is Jesus, unfortunately divides people. People are either on one side of the fence when it comes to Jesus or the other. Either you know and believe in him as Savior or you reject him. Peter just says rejected by humans but chosen by God. That's a great phrase, isn't it? That God chose Jesus to do exactly what he came to this earth to do, to live for us, to die, to rise again. And that same God chose you and he chose me. We are God's chosen people made into a spiritual house is the way Peter describes it. Made up of all kinds of stones, little stones is really what Peter calls us. I want you to think about this just for a moment because Peter doesn't use the concept of a brick. And think about bricks, how they're all kind of the same size and they fit together nicely, but Peter chooses to use the word stones. Might there be a lesson for us in that? That not all of us are the same? That we come from different backgrounds, different areas of the world, and yet all are welcome in God's kingdom. We might be different shapes and sizes and fit differently into this great spiritual house that God is building, but God wants us all to be a part of that spiritual house. You see what Peter's describing, right? He's describing the church which we define as all believers of all time everywhere. Have you ever stopped to consider when you come to worship on a Sunday morning how many people across the world are doing the very thing that you're doing right now? How many people are built into this spiritual house that is God's own family? 
and heirs of eternal life? That's what Peter is describing. Would you be surprised to know that the word stone or rock is used somewhere around 500 times in Scripture, depending on how you count all of those different times? And one of the first ones that I can remember is this story. Maybe you can recognize it from the picture on the screen. That's Jacob. You might remember that Jacob had a twin brother named Esau, and Esau was minutes older. As a matter of fact, Jacob actually came out of the womb holding on to his brother Esau's heel. That's how he got the name Jacob. It means heel grabber. And that's exactly how Jacob lived his life. He tricked his father into giving him the birthright and blessing, and of course Esau was angry, and so Jacob is running away from home. And the first night away from home, he's out in the middle of nowhere and lies down to sleep using a stone for his pillow. During that night, God comes to him with this amazing, amazing dream, a vision of a stairway to heaven with angels going up and down on it. And he reminds Jacob that he's watching over him, that his angels are taking his requests to heaven and bringing back the strength that he needs for his journey. And when Jacob wakes up in the morning, he takes that rock on which he had slept, he sets that stone up and he anoints it with oil. Maybe you even remember the name that he gave to that place. He calls it Bethel, which means house of God. That's exactly what Peter is describing you and me as the house of God. All of these stones that make up his church. Peter's not done with his metaphor of stone. Listen to verses 6 to 8. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Peter takes three Old Testament prophecies and he weaves them together to demonstrate what this stone, this living stone, Jesus, is all about. First of all, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 and reminds us that Jesus is this precious stone, this cornerstone chosen by God. Now, I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word cornerstone, but I usually think of something a little bit like what you see on the screen, but usually it has a date on it, right? That's how we use the cornerstone today. It's that, that one stone in the corner that has the date of the building on it. But back in Isaiah's day, and even in Jesus' day, a cornerstone was much more important than that. It was actually the stone on which the builders would use and set their sight lines for the entire building, making sure the building would stand straight. And so that's Jesus, the most important stone, the one on which the whole spiritual house is built. That's why he's precious to us. Really what Isaiah is saying, what Peter is quoting here is to demonstrate to us that there is one, one way to salvation and that's through the living stone, Jesus himself. His second quotation is from Psalm 118 and in that quotation we see that Jesus has become the cornerstone. Some translations use the word capstone which is that top or the keystone that's at the top of an arch. Again, the idea is the same, that Jesus is the most important part of the entire spiritual building. 
It's on him that the foundation of the apostles and prophets is built. And yet it wasn't everyone who recognized that. Many rejected him as scripture plainly prophesied. And that leads Peter into one final prophecy, the one that's found in Isaiah chapter 8. This is how people stumble and trip over a stone. Has that ever happened to you? Walking on what you thought was flat ground and suddenly there was a bump or a stone in the way and, and maybe you stubbed your toe or tripped over it. Unfortunately, that happens to people from a spiritual sense too. Those who reject Jesus, those who don't believe he's the answer, sadly, will fall into destruction. Would you agree with this? The hardest part about following Jesus is that you have to swallow your own pride. You have to admit that there's nothing good about you or me, nothing that we can bring to God to say, yep, I'm, I'm pretty good, God, you should choose me. Look at all those other bad people out there. Certainly I have something to offer to you. But we don't. And that pride can stand in the way. That's what trips people up as they refuse to see that there is only one way to salvation. There's only one capstone, only one cornerstone. God wants us to avoid, Peter wants us to avoid that rejection by simply turning our lives over to the one who is the only one who can save. This idea of a rock that causes people to stumble reminded me of, of one more Bible story. This one comes from Daniel chapter 2. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has a disturbing dream one night. And in that dream, he dreams of the statue with four or five, depending on how you want to uh, interpret it, different parts. A head of gold, you got silver, and arm, uh, silver arms and chest, you got bronze, belly and thighs, and then iron and clay, legs and feet. And then what he sees in his dream is this rock that comes tumbling down and smashes the entire statue. And then the rock stops, and it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. God gives the interpretation of that dream to Daniel. And as Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he tells him that all of those different parts of the statue represent earthly kingdoms, starting with the kingdom of Babylon, and then from history we know what the next kingdoms were. But the rock, Daniel says, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus. That's Jesus who will be overseeing the rise and fall of every single one of those nations, and Jesus whose kingdom will endure forever. See, that's the living stone. That's why Peter wants you and I to put our trust in him because he's the one that endures forever. In case we miss how this all works, I love how Peter ties it all together in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to his words. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. On the other end of the scale from pride is doubt. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but Oftentimes, those doubts seem to creep into my life when there's suffering. Suffering Christians are awfully often doubting Christians. We wonder if God knows what's happening, if he really knows what's going on. 
And if there's any better verses to come to in the Bible when those doubts visit your heart and mind, I can't recommend too many in a greater way than what Peter says here in verses 9 and 10. It's beautiful, isn't it? Did you hear the incredible words that Peter uses to remind you of your status before God? We heard him in the Deuteronomy reading too, that you are chosen, that you're royal, that you are God's special possession. Isn't that amazing that, that God would call you and me, sinners though we are, his special possession? How? How could that even be possible? You know, don't you? You know exactly how it's possible. We've been called from the darkness of pride and doubt, from the problems of hopelessness and despair into the light, into the light of the gospel, which reminds us that through Jesus, every sin is forgiven. Every bit of what stands between us and God has been removed. And our life with him in heaven is secure. We were not God's people once, Peter says, but now that's exactly what God calls you. We are his people. Don't get tired of hearing that. That God would call you his own people, that he would call me his own chosen. That's an amazing status that God has given us. And why? Peter gives us the reason, doesn't he? You're God's special possession to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Maybe you've heard people talk about these, these three big questions in life that everybody needs to answer, right? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And doesn't Peter cover those all for us in those couple verses? We are God's chosen, his special possession. That's who we are. What is our purpose? We get the opportunity to live for the one who already claimed us as his own. The excitement and the joy of knowing our salvation is what God wants us to live so that others see that joy and they too see what the Father in heaven has done for them. And then where are we going? We're going to heaven. We're going to the place that God has prepared for us that will be free from the hopelessness and the despair that often visits this life, where pride and doubt will no longer exist because we will be with our Lord forever. A couple takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God calls us living stones because we are among those who make up his church, all believers everywhere. As he wrote to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, that we are part of God's family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as our chief cornerstone. Secondly, we follow Jesus, the living stone, who provides the way for salvation. The apostles wrote it this way, spoke it this way in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And finally, number three, as God's special possession, we want others to know that Jesus is the way to heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and, and praise your Father in heaven. We want others to have the same joy that we have and live for the Savior who brought them into his family and gives us, gives us eternal life. One more stone today. I don't know if anyone's going to recognize this one, but I'll, I'll try you anyway. Anyone recognize that stone? Okay, we have a few. Nice. Yep, this is in the Oregon coast. 
a little city called Cannon Beach, and the rock that you're looking at is Haystack Rock. It's about an hour from Portland, and so when we lived in Portland, we would often take people to the ocean to see Haystack Rock. When the tide was out, you could actually walk all the way out to the rock, and there was wildlife and little fish and starfish that you could see out there. It was pretty cool. And you can imagine the first time that I saw Haystack Rock and I was able to, to walk all the way out to it when the tide was down, that was a new experience for me. And so when I got back home, do you know what I did? I told people. And when people came to visit, I showed them. Because I wanted them to see something that I thought was pretty neat that they could go and see too. Isn't that exactly what God is saying to us today? That is our wonderful purpose. We know Jesus. We know his love. God has placed faith in our hearts to believe in him and we know where we're going to an eternity with him. How can we not want others to know that same thing? How can we not share our excitement and joy of the Savior who loved us so that others can join that eternity forever? Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.